Well, we've gotten to hear it in the Psalms. We've gotten to hear it from one another. We got to hear it from you all in, in our singing. How good God is in the hope that we have in Christ. And now we're going to go see it in his word, church. So I told you all last week we were going to start Jonah today. And I've, I've realized, you know, the more that I have gone through this book, the more I, I thought it was a good fit for coming out of Leviticus. I didn't even quite so much consider we were going to go through it in the month of December and how it fits into Advent. But if we're talking about hope, Jonah is a special book. But before we get in, before we get in this morning, I, w- I want to take like a couple minutes real fast and do kind of what I did for us at the beginning of Leviticus, okay? And just show you, there, there, is a, there is a lens, there is a framework through which we need to understand what Jonah is really all about, okay? And Jonah, I'm going to give you a, a, fancy, a fancy big church word that uh, you probably don't use on a regular basis, but Jonah is a chiasm. And what that means is that Jonah is kind of a, a, a circular story with a center in the middle of it. And I'm, I'm not going to, you know, spend too much time on the pattern. But if you look through, and John, if you want to put up there, I've, I've put up a slide. You see there are, there are like rings of themes that go throughout the book. And the one in the middle is the one that the whole book is, you know, in a chiasm. That's, that's the main point, right? That's the lens that you read it through. So you can see the story starts and ends with talking about that great city. You see Jonah wants to die a couple of times. Not a good look for Jonah. Uh, you see some repentance is going on. You see a pattern between three days in the fish, three days in, in Nineveh. But the dead middle, not you know in terms of words, but thematically, the middle of this book is about the great city. Now, what is the great city of this book, church? Nineveh. This book is actually not so much about Jonah. It's not really so much about the people of God. The book is a story about Nineveh. Why does God call Nineveh great? That's that's actually the the biggest question we should wrestle with, church. The, The word great that comes up in this book a couple of times is the same great that God uses when he comes to Abraham, he comes to Isaac, he comes to Jacob, and he gives him the covenant promise. He says, I'm going to make you into a great name, a great people, a great nation. That word great is a covenant great. A big, like, God, this is who I am. I am making you great. And yet here, God is referring to Nineveh, right? The city that is the capital of Assyria, that has just conquered all of Israel, that has is like the poster child for wickedness and everything God's people were not supposed to be about. God calls them great in the same way that he calls his own people great. Something's up there. Something's up. Because this is not just a story about repentance. It's not just a story about hard-heartedness, which is there. We're going to talk about that. But this is a story, church, that is all about how does God look at us even in our brokenness? You know, we, j- we just spent six weeks going through the, the opening, chapters of Levit- Le- opening chapters of Leviticus, talking about all these sacrifices, about how God desires his people to be with him. But church, it is not just Israel 
that God was after. In fact, what, what Jonah's going to kind of help us do, you know, we talk about this hope that we have in Christ, and amen do we have at church, but this is a hope that is not just for you and for me. This is a hope that was given to you and to me when we were far off in our sin, as Paul talks about in Romans. This is a hope that exists not, not just for the, the people who are aspiring to be good. This is a hope that God has for the entire world. And so if we're coming out of Leviticus, we're thinking, okay, we're going to be the priests of God, church. We have to understand what is the heart of God, especially towards those who are broken apart from him. And it's going to be interesting. I'll give you one little tidbit about Jonah. Jonah, his name means dove. And we're going to be told in verse 1, once we start reading it, you're going to hear me say he's the son of Amittai. Amittai means true. Jonah literally means the true dove. So you would think about, okay, doves, typically a sign of you know, life that's coming, true dove, true life. Jonah should be a picture of Jesus. Those of you who have read the book of Jonah know Jonah doesn't look very much like Jesus. But Jonah has the name that would imply he looks like Jesus. Church, there is... There is a hope that you and I have. We bear that name of Christ. But sometimes we look more like Jonah than we do Jesus. And what's particularly damaging is because if you and I just live like Jonah, if it wasn't for God's persistence and God's relentless, we're going to see a lot of stuff happen, not through Jonah, but in spite of Jonah. Okay, so when we read the book today, church, as, as we walk through Jonah, I want, us, I want us to watch for a couple things, okay? We're going to watch for how God basically lays out what he is after, okay? We're going to see that he, he wants to work with people who are broken. He wants to work with people who are still struggling through their sins. So we're going to get a picture of what that looks like because this, sto- this is a story about Nineveh, but we're also going to watch for Jonah, church, because in Jonah, we're going to get to see a picture of somebody who is kind of standing in that Christ role, but doesn't look much like Christ, and church, if you and I today are standing in that Christ role, we need to know what is God's heart, we're going to get that in, in, in what we're watching for, but we also need to understand how damaging is it when you and I, who are standing in the Christ role, Right, Standing as, as believers, as people who have the name of Jesus on our hearts, the spirit of God, spirit of Jesus in our lives. When we stand in that place, but we are unwilling to be that for one another. So Jonah, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good story, pretty good book, which is why we're going to dive in now. Let's look at verse 1, and let's just, let's just start unpacking a little bit of this together. We're going to go to verse 16 says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down, and he was fast asleep. 
So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, So tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, Well, and what shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know, is it be, I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Father God, we confess to you this morning. I mean, you've, you've heard it from our lips in our praise, in our testimony, and just being able to actually speak your word back to you. We trust you. We know that you are a good God. Father, we know that you are God who, who sees us in our lostness, sees us in our brokenness, and you desire to save us. Father God, you desire to bring us back into a right relationship with you. And, and Father, when we come to your word, we get to see that spelled out clear. This, this heart and all the actions associated with it, Lord, that we, we see what this relationship was supposed to be about. We see what it was supposed to look like. We get to see, you know, the image of who you are. So we start to see, you know, these are things about our lives that should be and some things that should not be. But Father, we are often like Jonah. And that, man, it is, it is real and it is true for us. And so help us if we want it to be equally true for those around us. Father, I, I, am, I am sorry for my own shortcomings in this when, you know, I mean, you, you hear and see in me when, when I get anxious or when I get, you know, annoyed or bothered with something. And so I don't respond in kind and basically, Lord, you know in that moment that I'm, I'm saying, you know, my, whether it's my comfort, whether it's my convictions, something related to me is more important than your gospel. Because at that point, I really don't care how it comes across. I am, I am in self-preservation mode. So in that point, Lord, I, I know I look more like Jonah than I do Christ. So, Father, I pray, I mean, we're talking about hope this morning, Lord. This is, this is not intended, I know you did not put this in your word, to just be beating us down. Father, to, to just keeping before us, man, you do not look like me. You do not give us that without the hope of Christ. Father, I pray that our hearts would be soft enough to consider where we might be more like Jonah than Christ. But also, Lord, we are not reading this this morning as people without hope. We have Christ. We have him available. Father, for some of us in here, we have, we have staked our life and our faith and our claim in him. 
And we are not just reading this saying, oh, okay. <laughs> we are reading this saying, okay, this is the example that, that I actually can live out because Christ dwells within me. So, Father, please just let us be both soft-hearted to receive your conviction, but equally just ready and emboldened to say, now that I know the example of the God that who has been set before me, I can do that, and I'm ready to live that out. In your name we pray. Amen. So, church, let's, let's look at two different competing pictures in here, okay? First, let's look at what God, what's God doing? And his is pretty simple, right? He is meeting us in our wickedness with reconciliation. It's pretty much just right there. Let's, let's start and let's first watch in chapter 1. What is God, how is he desiring to work, okay? So first you see in verse 2, he, he calls, he goes to Jonah. He says, Nineveh, I'm going to send, or Jonah, I'm going to send you to Nineveh. I need you to go there and call out against it for their evil has come up before me, okay? So the first thing God shows us is he says, look, if I'm going to be meeting brokenness, if I'm going to be about reconciliation, I got to call it out, right? Like, I can't just pretend like this doesn't exist. I can't just give you some sort of blanket. Oh, it's okay. You, you guys are actually fine. God shows up and says, Jonah, I, I need you to go show them where, where they're off. Right? I have to address whatever this brokenness is that Nineveh has. Jonah, for, for whatever reason I have, I have decided you're going to be the one to help me with this. Okay? So God starts with this picture saying, I, I am a God who addresses brokenness. I am a God who is going to meet wickedness head on. This is, I'm not just going to gloss over, not just going to leave it to the side. We're going to work through this. Okay? Jonah runs away. I don't know if the job assignment's just not something he's interested in. But even as Jonah runs away, God sends a storm. And we're told in chapter 1 that, yes, the storm is to get Jonah's attention, to let him know that he's, um, he's running away from God's presence. But also, you see something happen in verse 5. The mariners, the crew on the ship, they're afraid, and they start crying out to their God. So, so not only is God doing something to get Jonah's attention, he's also trying to get the attention of the ship's crew. He says, I'm going to also work in such a way that the ship's crew who, look, we're, we're told in verse 5, each cried out to his God, right? They're not crying out to God. They're, they're crying out. We're not told exactly where the, the, the ship members are from, but clearly they're, they're calling out to these different pagan gods. So God's not just telling Jonah, I'm only working with Nineveh. God says, kind of, watch me in action everywhere I go. He says, I, I am, I'm going to, to work in a way where people are going to realize, man, something is not right. Something's not right. And I'm going to cry out to something. Okay? And I love this because notice, notice as we're saying, the mariners are not crying out to big G, our God, our capital G, God. They are, they're just crying out to whatever. And you would say, okay, God, then how are you going to work with a bunch of people who are, they're recognizing something's wrong and they're crying out, but, you know, from our perspective, we could say they're not doing it in the right way, right? They're not calling out to the big God. They're, they're just recognizing something's wrong and they're responding. And I love in verses 7 through 15, God works with them. He, he works with them, right? Notice all the different little details where God actually directs 
their attention. He takes kind of their, their action. Yes, we could say they're, they're not calling out to the big God, but he takes their action and he steers it continually toward him. Right? Verse 7, it told us that they casted lots. That was a common practice in the ancient world. It's, um, I, don't want, I don't want to cheapen the image for you, but essentially like you could think of a magic eight ball. You know, you ask the question, you shake it, and you hopefully you, you get an answer and you trust, well, some divine being inside of the magic eight ball has now shown me the answer I wanted. It kind of a, a similar practice um, where they're, they're essentially casting these dice and they're going to read whatever the dice say is an interpretation from on high. Well, God uses this, and he, the lot points to Jonah. So God says, hey, I have, I have put someone of me amongst you crew go talk to them and then he they go and they they talk to Jonah and even though Jonah we'll get to him in a second he's he's not the most helpful we'll just put it that way but verse 12 he still reveals to the crew through Jonah a way for peace to be made and I love in verse 13 they don't listen they go we don't want to throw somebody overboard in the middle of the storm. They're going to die. That's ridiculous. So they go back to what they were currently doing, right? Rowing hard to get back to dry land. And God allows the storm to continue, right? You could say, well, if God got their attention the first time through the storm, if he still doesn't quite have their attention, he's just going to keep working in the way that's going to get them to eventually come to him. So they understand, okay, the storm is still going. Something else is not right. So then they, they go back to Jonah, and they, well, they actually don't go back to Jonah. Verse 14, they call out to the Lord. They say, you know what? Okay, let's try your way. You know what? It sounds ridiculous to us. We're going to listen to you, but hey, just don't let us perish. Like, you remember, you told us to throw them overboard, right? There's a little bit of testing going on, but they listen. They respond in the way that God has asked. And what happens immediately afterwards, church? Verse 15, they throw him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging. And it is just this wonderful picture, right? No, their theology of who God is is not perfect. For all they know, this is just a God who says, if you want to appease me, you got to start chucking people off of a boat in the middle of a storm, right? They, they don't have a great understanding of who he is, but they're in this place of saying, we recognize something is not right. We recognize all the things around us are not helping us fix this. There's, there must be something different about this God over here Let's do what he says. And as soon as they take that first step of faith, everything is calm. And it gets them to this point, verse 16. This is how God works, church. He gets them to the point where it says the men feared the Lord exceedingly. It means their hearts had been changed, right? They were worried about the storm. They were worried about, you know, whatever they could have done for these other gods trying to get things fixed. Now their hearts... Or for God. They feared the Lord exceedingly. Then it says they offered a sacrifice, right? All, all the, the time we were in Leviticus, this is what we were talking about. The, the giving of the sacrifice is just a big way of saying, I want to be right with you. Their hearts have changed. There's a desire to be right with God. And then it says they made vows. We're not told exactly what, what vows they made. But church, whenever you see vows, you see covenant in the Old Testament. That's basically someone's way of saying, God, I, I am, I do not just want to be content that you have saved me from this one thing here. I actually want to go be different now. 
I, I, I recognize I was one way. You have changed things about me. I, God, I, do, I don't want to go back. I want to be a different person. I, I want to, you know, in the covenant promise, they're saying, God, I want to be with you. The men are saying, you know what? We recognize all those things did not work. I'm making a vow because I don't just want to be saved from my sin. I want to learn to walk in a new way, in a new life. This is a beautiful picture of God's heart on display, church, for people who don't know him. They don't know him. And yet God shows up and he works in their lives in a way where he's going to say, okay, I'm going to help you realize your brokenness. But I'm going to do so in a way that helps you also see who I am. And if you can at least take that first step of saying, okay, God, this sounds crazy. Uh, okay, God, I'm not really sure exactly how throwing someone overboard is going to help here. But Lord, if you have told me... Let's, let's put our language in there, church. If you've told me that the way to save me from eternal punishment, eternal you know, wickedness, a, a life in hell is all of our, our ways of describing what happens when we get to the end of the road and we're still in sin apart from God. If you're telling me all I have to do is believe in Jesus Christ, okay, I mean, I, I can do that. Then God says, good. Now let's work. Now let's move you to the point where now that you are with me in faith, now what, let, let, let's, you know, just like we talked about the sin offering, the guilt offering, right? Now we're going to change some things. A beautiful picture. Except it's missing one key part. Where's Jonah? So then at some point, church, as we go through each chapter, we're going to have to get to the point where we ask, what the heck is happening in Jonah? What does Jonah show us this morning, church? We're seeing God meets our brokenness with reconciliation. Jonah clings to his righteousness because he wants God to punish the wickedness of others. Jonah's going to give us a different picture. So let's go back through chapter 1 and let's, let's now watch. What does Jonah do? Okay, you see verse 1, verse 2, God comes to him. He says, I have a mission for you, Jonah. You're going to go to Nineveh, that great city. And I already alluded to that when I, I gave you the little intro, but when Jonah hears Nineveh called the great city, he's thinking, I, I'm sorry, what? God, that's the word that you used to describe your people. Did, did you not just watch what happened, God? They, they came in and they conquered us. They, they came in and they... They took us over. Jonah's thinking, man, we are the people of God, and you allowed Assyria to come in, and now you want me to go to them, and you're telling me they're just as important to you as us? What is it? God, do you not see their wickedness? Do you not see all the, the brokenness? Do you not see the, just the disgusting stuff that they're doing? Oh, no, God, no. Surely that cannot be you. And what does Jonah do, church? He rose to flee to Tarshish. Now there's there is there's two levels going on here, okay? Yes, physically, Tarshish is on a different different direction than than wherever Nineveh is. If you've ever seen Jonah the Veggie Tales movie, picture the I, I forget the, the name of the I think it's the carrot. 
the, the mustached Scotsman carrot that's sitting in the little booth. And he says, Tarshish, it's the other end of the world. And, and he just, he, you can't even see it, but it's a little star on the, the far end of the map. Physically, yeah, Jonah says, no, God, you surely you're not telling me to go there. I'm actually going to go this direction. But that word Tarshish, church, is an interesting word. It, it literally means yellow jasper, which I don't know anything about diamonds. But apparently a yellow jasper is a pretty worthy diamond. But it shares the same root with other Hebrew words that mean paradise. And I think it's a really cool picture of what's going on inside Jonah's head. Because it's like Jonah is telling God, God, surely your covenant, surely who you desire, surely that is not the people who are broken. Surely it's the people over here. Right, sure, God, why would you tell me to go be with those who are stuck in their wickedness? God, surely you would be in paradise, right? Surely you would be with the people who, who aren't wicked. And the great irony, physically, spiritually, Jonah, verse 3, is going away from the presence of the Lord. He has completely misunderstood what God's heart is leaning toward. And not only that, church, but this, this is the part that, as a pastor, the, the part that, that gets more to me is not only does, does Jonah get this wrong, and, and I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to give Jonah some, some credit, if I'm watching somebody come in and, and conquer me and my people, and then God tells me to go to them, it's not going to be the easiest of, of things to do, right? Part of me is going to think, well, I should encourage the people that I'm here with. But the part that, that I, I don't I'll, I'll say it scares me, church, and I don't want to read that into you, but it scares me is because watch what happens. When Jonah kind of misses that heart piece, watch what happens when he's with the crew, okay? Verse 8, verse 9, the crew, they cast lots, they realize the problems with Jonah, they go to Jonah, and they, they ask him a bunch of questions, right? They're trying to figure out what could Jonah have done that's making them in trouble. They ask him, tell me on whose account this evil has come upon us. Like, what are you doing, Jonah? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah says to them, I am a Hebrew, this is verse 9, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then we see in verse 10, he also told them he was fleeing the presence of the Lord. What has Jonah not told the people? What has he not told them? He said, oh, I am, I'm not one of them, right? I'm one of the good guys. I'm one of the Hebrews. I'm one of the people of the Lord Yes, by the way, I am running away from God. But what has Jonah been told by God and not done in this point? He has not given him the gospel, right? Jonah's mission was to go to Nineveh and tell them, look, guys, what you are doing is wrong. There is a better way. Let me show you how to get to God. Jonah has that message ingrained in him. And yet, because he can't understand God's heart, when he's given another opportunity with people who by all accounts, they're not Ninevites. Because Jonah is so fixated on not being Nineveh, he misses an opportunity when someone asks him directly, what is your occupation? Could have said prophet. What are you going to do? Oh, to share the gospel. Really? What's the gospel? Jonah misses a golden opportunity 
to be part of God's work, not just in Nineveh, but in this crew on the ship. He's, his heart being so far off, he completely misses the ability to minister effectively. In fact, in verse 12, he tells him, well, I know it's me that God is after. Just throw me in the sea. Everything will, everything will be taken care of. Okay. Okay, Jonah. Yeah, you, you could have told the crew about how to, you know, come to know God and live to God. But I guess chucking you overboard so that just gets them out of their immediate physical mess. Yeah, sure. That's, that's good. That is not good enough, church. Jonah's sitting there with the gospel, and he says, eh, just fix your present circumstance and move on, right? Don't even worry about this. And even more mind-blowing, when Jonah tells that to God, you know, Jonah has essentially, so far in this chapter, he said, I know I'm running away from God. Like, at this point, it's not a mystery as to whether Jonah thinks he's with God or not. Jonah knows. He's told the men in verse 10, I, he knew that he was free, fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And Jonah says, I would rather be dead in the water than repent and go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I would rather be thrown into the sea with the understanding I know I'm trying to get away from God. I'd rather be thrown into the sea than go back to Nineveh. So yes, we do get to the end of the story. The, the crew does have a fear of the Lord. They offer sacrifices. They are vows. You, you could say in our vernacular, they have accepted the message of the gospel um, pretty much in spite of Jonah, right? Not at all through Jonah. It, why I say it's scary for me, church, is because it, it just makes me shudder. Because I, I, if I'm reading myself as one of the people of God into this story, I'm reading myself in as Jonah, right? That's, that's the one who's of the people of God in here. To think that, that I could also miss God's heart and be walking around with the name of God, the, the, the mission of God within me, and be so blinded by one part of my own sin that I completely miss it for everybody else, that I would be bold enough to even tell God, God, I, and then God tells Jonah he knows he's walking away, that I would be capable of saying, well, God, I would, <laughs> I'd rather be dead than change my ways. Something's not right with that, church. And really what it's going down to, like we talked about, Jonah is trying to go to Tarshish. Jonah says, God, I'm already one of the good ones. Look, I, I, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, the one who made the sea, the one that made the dry land. You guys think you have your little gods. I know I serve the right God. I know I'm right in this. And Jonah is so fixated on clinging to his righteousness, he does not care about what happens to the broken people around him. Now let's see what Jesus does, because we need a little bit more encouragement, because I do not want to end up like Jonah. Okay, what does Jesus do? I'm going to read you two quick accounts, both of which kind of display his heart. They actually point back to this story. One of these, the first one's from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. You're going to see some similarities here, church. Mark writes, on that day... When evening had come, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. 
that in leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling in. And he was in the stern, asleep, on the cushion, right? Are we hearing some parallels to the Jonah story here? So let's watch what Jesus does. They woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Just as they said in Jonah 4. They say, hey, what do you mean, you sleeper? Perhaps the God that you call out to will keep us from perishing. These know Jesus. They say, Jesus, don't you care? And what does Jesus do? He awoke, verse 39, he rebuked the wind, he said to the sea, peace, be still. The wind ceased, there was a great calm. So both cases, you've got a, a Jesus figure, Jesus, Jonah, both cases, they do something to calm the storm. But then what does Jesus do, verse 40? He turns around to his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Verse 41, they were also filled with great fear. So same result as the ship's crew in Jonah 4. And they say to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? To give you a little bit of context where we're at in Mark 4. Jesus has been walking through a couple different parables, a couple different encounters with his disciples trying to show them who he is. So when he gets to the storm, he, get, he calms everything, but he turns around and he says, do you not know who I am? And he again extends that invitation to come and be with him. That's the part that is different from Jesus and Jonah. Jonah never extends any kind of reconciliation attempt to anyone in brokenness in chapter 1. But Jesus, in the way that he works, it is all about meeting people who are struggling, people who face perish with reconciliation. You know what, I, I, truthfully, the image that's coming in my head, if you guys remember, that I've heard some of you reference this, which is, which is cool for me because it means you're still thinking about it. You remember when Dr. Quartermont was here back in May and he used the analogy of you're going down a highway and God kind of gives us exit ramps? So, so Jesus' attitude is kind of the one going down the highway with you while you're blowing by all those exit ramps trying to help you see the next one. Jonah's attitude is you're driving next to someone, you see the exit ramp, you merge, hopefully you signal, you merge, you get over, you get off, and you go, well, thank goodness I missed where that road's going. Two different hearts. Perhaps the clearest picture of this Another one, Luke 5, verse 27 to 32. Jesus went out. This is after he heals the paralytic. He goes out. He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. A tax collector, Jesus, what are you doing? You realize how bad this is going to look in front of all the other Jews? You're calling a Roman tax collector to be one of your disciples, which Levi Church, his name is also Matthew the author of the Gospel of Matthew. Levi, he calls and Levi leaves everything. He rose and he followed him, verse 28. Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. This is a little fun aside. This, is, uh, this verse was in our, um, in the, the Navigator's resource we went through this summer, praying for your neighborhood. 
go ask Jefferson if he knows this verse because he loves and Levi had a big banquet for the tax collectors and others to eat. Go see, he, love, he just loves patting his pants to say Levi and doing tax collectors. So go see if Jefferson remembers this verse. The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners repentance. You can see the, the Pharisees looking at Jesus being like, what are you doing associating with them? Are you really, you're, you're talking about being the son of God. You're talking about being this really righteous teacher. Do you realize who you're spending your time with? Do you realize who you are hanging out with? And Jesus says, well, psh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I love this church. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That verb to call is the same word, you know, if I'm saying, hey, uh, hey, Abigail, you know, I'm, you know, you're trying to get someone's attention to flag them down. It's the same verb, though, that also means to call, like when, when a baby's born, you're giving it its name, right? I'm going to call you blank. Jesus says, I have not come to try to get the attention and give my name to those who are already thinking they're better, who are already clinging to their righteousness. Jesus says, I have come to get the attention and to give my name to those who understand they're in sin. They are broken. And I think of what a picture of what we see at Christmas each year, that God, again, while we were still in sin church, God sends his son, the Emmanuel, God with us, to us so that we can be reconciled to him. We even read it this morning in Psalm 27. What does God tell David? Seek my face. That's what I'm after. Those who will seek my face. Church, God meets our wickedness with reconciliation. That's his attitude towards us when we are broken. But you and I, if we're more like Jonah, we tend to say, well, but because I'm already good, God, please make sure you know just how clearly I'm not one of them so that when your punishment comes down, it goes over there, not over here. Okay? It's, so when we think about application, there's just two questions that I think we ought to consider this morning. In light of Jonah's story, the first question, who's your Nineveh? Who are the people that we don't want to reach out to because they're too far gone, because of what they've done, because of what they stand for, because of what they believe? I, I want to encourage you this morning, because I know many of you well enough to know, I don't think anyone in here genuinely hates to their core someone else. Right to the point that you just don't want them to come to know Jesus. Okay, please, please don't hear me from that light because I know that about you all, and I know that that's not where we're sitting this morning. I hope you know that about me, right? That that's that's also who I am. I don't think I don't think we have that kind of a Nineveh church. I think the Nineveh that we have tends to be a little bit more sneaky. 
Because I think we can look at the groups of people and, and say, well, I, I work and I serve over here. I work and I do these things here. But I, I think there are, there are, I'll just say, there's maybe little things that irk us about what other people might believe or other people might stand for or the ways that other people might work. And we just kind of secretly hope we never have to deal with that. In a, in a humorous way for me, that's, that's those who learned to drive in the state of Maryland. Because growing up in Northern Virginia, um, man, every accident on the Beltway it is a Marylander. Didn't matter if it had Virginia on the plates, they had probably moved from Maryland, right? It just, people from Maryland did not know how to drive. And then when we moved to North Carolina, I learned, well, you know, they give Marylanders a run for their money. But, but really, people in Maryland don't know how to drive. At least that is my personal conviction as a follower of Christ. It's not one that I would say that you guys have to adopt. It's not tied to salvation or anything. But me as a, follow, as a follower of Christ, I firmly believe no one in Maryland knows how to drive until you get out of Maryland. Now, now, what that means is there is a small part of me that when I get copies of people's driver's licenses at Blacksburg Transit, what do you think is the first thing I'm looking for? Are they from Maryland? Now, I know some of them are, they can hide it because they can put their address of, you know, wherever they're renting from in Blacksburg. But if I know that they didn't get their physical hard copy until they went back home for the holidays, there's a pretty good chance. There's a lot of tech students from Maryland and from North Carolina right after Virginia, right? There's a good chance that some of them come from Maryland. It could be very easy for me when I'm looking at that going, this, this one's going to suck because they do not know how to drive coming in here, right? Again, right, these two things don't really, like, I'm, I'm using a humorous example so that you hear they're not related, right? Me being a follower of Christ and someone that learned to drive in the state of Maryland, not related, not related at all. But it can change my attitude towards them because of what I've already preconceived about them. And then they come to know that, oh, what, is, what else does he do? Oh, he's a pastor? Yeah, and then that's the attitude and that's what comes across as, right? Then, then it's not too far to make the connection. Man, people at that church must hate Marylanders because they don't know how to drive. Or they must all think that we have to drive. But I'm not like that, right? It's a humorous example, Okay. But it is just a simple picture of how sometimes, church, we can allow some sort of earthly circumstance, some sort of earthly principle, earthly belief that we have, not tied to the gospel, to get in the way of how we are going to minister to others. And in addition, right, if I'm reading myself in Jonah, Jonah was so thrown off by Nineveh, he also missed the ship's crew. So I can be so... So frustrated about someone coming in as a Maryland driver, it could affect my ability to train everybody else, and I might not even be aware of it. So church, what we're going to do in a second, we're going to have a little time of response for you just to say, okay, Lord, who's my Nineveh? Who are the people that I'm like, Lord, if you put me in close contact, please do not put me in close contact with them. Because at that point, Jonah, when God shows up and says, Jonah, I'm ready to use you, Jonah's fleeing the other way. And then the second question, not only who's your Nineveh, but who's your ship's crew? Because I want you to realize this, church, that Jonah, because of his thoughts about Nineveh, he completely misses the people who are right there next to him. 
right, that even in Jonah's running away, God, <laughs> it's almost like God has given him an opportunity. Jonah could have said, oh, man, you know what? This is God at work. And, and crew, you don't even realize this because you don't know God. But see, I, I serve this God, and he told me to do this. You know, Jonah could have even used that as maybe a maybe little momentum boost, right? The whole crew accepts the Lord at the end of the chapter, right? What if Jonah had said, hey, Maybe I feel better about going to Nineveh because I just got to witness to this group right here and they took it well. And, and so Noah's going in with that confidence, or not Noah, Jonah's going in with that confidence to go to Nineveh. Church, the, the anger and the frustration and the little convictions that we have that shape the way, you know, over our Ninevehs, we might not even be aware of how it damages our ability to reach our ship's crew. People that we have... You know, we don't have any problem with. They happen to be right next to us. But we can be so blinded on our Ninevehs, we miss our ship's crew. So what we're going to do before we, we close in prayer this morning, I'm actually going to ask you guys to go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to ask you right now, who's your Nineveh? And I'm assuming somebody's name or a face or a word group of people, somebody's going to pop into your head right now. Who's your Nineveh? The people that you're just like, I can't stand the way they work. I can't stand the things they stand for. I can't, I can't stand those things that they work towards. Now look, I, I'm not calling you to be best friends with them because that's not necessarily what God was telling to Jonah. But I want you just in this moment to say, God, Don't let my frustration keep me from being able to minister to them if that's what you want. Because God may show up and call you just like Jonah. Hey, I need you to go then. Why? Because I am not a God who's asking you to cling to your righteousness so you can just avoid my punishment. I'm a God who meets, who confronts wickedness with reconciliation. And I do not leave any stone unturned. And I may ask you to be the one that goes to them to be my instrument through which I'm going to lift up that stone. I'm going to uncover their brokenness for them. I'm going to help them see who I am. So church, right now, as you're picturing whoever that Nineveh is for you, just tell God, God, please don't let my frustration keep me from your reconciliation to them, if that's what you'd have me do. Let's start a prayer. Now, as you also have your, your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let's think about who's your ship's crew. And just say, God, you know what? I might not know. There might be people around me right now that you've put in my life that I would actually get to share the gospel with. God might right now be telling you, hey, hey, didn't you think it was odd you kept running into that person? Did, don't, didn't you realize, you know, I, I've given you this new job or this new opportunity. You're actually right now going to be next to this person a lot. Father, we don't want our, our Ninevehs to make us overlook our ship's crew. So just for our church right now where they're at, Lord, I ask 
that if you are kind of putting someone in close proximity and you've been saying, hey, I have been trying to use you to reach this person, but because of something completely unrelated that you're angry at or you're upset at, you have kept missing it. God, would you just show our church family right now who are the soft hearts that are just waiting for your gospel to come that we keep missing because of our own hard-heartedness? God, we have heard too many stories of members here, people inside our church, outside our church, who, I mean, who have just had visions of your, your light breaking from the shell covering the New River Valley. If, if we believe that, Lord, that you are really doing a work reconciling, we got to recognize our own blind spots. Lord, please remove them from us right now. Because, God, we see you are a God who works to reconcile. You've not told us to just cling to our own little righteousness, our own little goodness. And over all of us, church, let me pray for you. We say, God, may we never be a blot or a blank in life. God, cause, may we never cause the way of your truth to be evil spoken of. May we never make our liberty an occasion for the flesh to do what it wants. God, may we love you, serve others. May we please our neighbors for their good so they come to know you. Father, may we attend to both what is ornamental as well as what is essential in religion. God, may we pursue the things that are lovely and of good report. May we render our profession of the gospel not only impressive, but amiable and, and inviting. May we hold forth the way of Jesus with our temper as well as with our tongues, with our lives as well as with our lips. Father, may we say to all we meet, hey, I am journeying towards the Lord's given place. Come with me for your good. God, may you prepare us for all the allotments of this short, this changing, this uncertain life with a useful residence in it, a comfortable journey through it, a safe passage out of it. Father, may we be in, in our character and in our conduct like the dew of heaven, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the fullness of the fountain. God, may we never be ashamed of Jesus or his words. May we never be deterred from fulfilling a known duty through fear. May we never be discouraged from attempting it through a weakness. God, may we see all things in a divine light so that they may inform our judgment and sanctify our hearts. And by all the disciplines of thy providence and all the ordinances of, of our religion, Lord, may we be increasingly prepared for life's remaining duties, the solemnities of a dying hour, and the joys and services that lie beyond the grave. God, we are grateful that you work even in spite of us when we are Jonah. But God, hear our hearts. We want you to work through us like you did Christ. In your name we pray.